This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Great day, everyone, at Dudley, Durham, North Carolina. And I love this day because I get to hang out with two amazing individuals. Um, we won't talk football today because my Patriots absolutely suck. I don't know what I don't know what they were doing, but uh, <laughs> we won't talk about that. Garland, Greer, how are you guys doing today? Great. Doing well. Um, you know, very close to Christmas when we are filming this. Um, School's out, so I've got two kids at home. Uh, not all my gifts wrapped, but uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Just did the last little bit of shopping this morning at 7.05 at Kohl's. There were probably, I don't know, 300 people in that, rest, in, that, in that place. Hey, I had to get it done. I had one more thing. I couldn't figure out where to get a weighted blanket from, so that's where I ended up. So you gotta gotta be smart like me and use Amazon a while ago. All the yeah. packages came oh, to the door, and I'm, I'm not going out to the store. Too. Trust me, but the weighted blankets. I don't you know what. Tell me, Amazon doesn't have weighted blankets. Yeah, they do. They 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 deliver like January fifteenth, January twentieth, yeah. because they're coming from you know not the United States. So. Yeah, so, but this is our day, guys. We get to talk to yet another. Um, amazing, insightful, and experienced financial professional. And um, I've been connected with this gentleman for quite a while on LinkedIn, and we've never had an opportunity to actually even chat a little bit. Um, but I, I saw him, his name pop up in my feed on something. I said, let, let me reach out to him and, and see if he'd like to join us. A uh, ton of experience. And so let's just bring him in on the line. Mr. Lee Baker, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Good. Doing very well. Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day, joining us. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you you afforded us some of your time, so we really appreciate you. Happy to do it. I don't I don't yeah. know if there's anything I can do better than uh than sharing with folks, particularly this time of the year. Oh, um, absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, Mr. Baker, CFP, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But just tell us about your journey. Um, how did you actually get into the business and what has your journey been like uh, over these past number of years? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to you and uh, as you gave a little bit of a description, you used the term experienced. You know, I, I appreciate you using that dynamic as opposed to calling me old. But, you know, um, my journey uh, was interesting. I, I describe it. I would say my journey has been accidental in, in terms of the way it began, or you might say it was divinely inspired, but it is what it is. And I've enjoyed that journey. So uh, I will say this, when I was younger, I, I never imagined that, hey, you know what, when I grow up, I want to help people find solutions to their money problems. Um, I had never heard of a CFP. Um, if they existed when I was a kid, I didn't know about it. But um, as fate would have it, I, I went to school at Georgia Tech 
and my father got ill uh, my first quarter there at school. You know, if we describe my family background from an economic perspective and said, hey, listen, were you middle class or upper class? It was definitely middle class. And perhaps if we divide it a little further, I'd say middle uh, to lower middle, middle class. So there was no money for me to call home and ask for. Uh, I had to make it happen. So I, I looked for a job, uh, started working part time for an insurance agent and began to learn things about what I now know as financial planning, but through an insurance agency's kind of a lens. Uh, graduated from Georgia Tech with a degree in industrial engineering. Uh, the guy I'd been working for, Jeff, offered me a job that was the same pay that my roommates were getting, you know, working as engineers at, at GM and some other places. And I thought, hey, wait a minute, I get to stay in Atlanta. Um, I'm making the same money as my buddies who actually went into engineering. I don't have to wear a suit every day and uh, I don't have to work on a plant floor. So I'm happy, you know, and, and that's how things began. Uh, so it was very unintentional, if you will. So, um, yeah, once we kind of moved past that, the first thing that let me know that, hey, wait a minute, there's some value to this stuff that I'm learning uh, was a, candidly an unfortunate circumstance with my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, so Veronica and I started dating when we were kids in high school and we're still married and she likes me most of the time and still loves me um, uh, after, after all these years. Um, but, you know, tragically her father died uh, when she was a sophomore in college and she had a couple of younger siblings. And so as we were trying to go through that process together, uh, basically, you know, candidly two kids, uh, trying to raise two kids, uh, I discovered that uh, someone had made a mistake regarding the benefits. And so what she and her siblings would get as a result of their father's death, um, nothing malicious, you know, but if you imagine yourself, you're a couple of kids and the oldest one's like 19, 20 years old, um, and everything you've got at that point is way more precious. You now don't have any parents to, to call on for assistance. And so um, because of the experience I'd had at that point, I was able to, to save them some money uh, that, that made a difference in all their lives. And so that kind of cemented for me, the idea that I would, uh, you know, help people with their money, you know? So it's, it's probably not normal for most people that their first planning client <laughs> became their wife, but that's how it played out for me. Wow. How, what, what year was this? Uh, this would have been maybe 1989. Okay. There we go. All right. That's, that's interesting. So 1989, you are in yep. Atlanta, Georgia. You are a recent co college graduate. Let me let me be clear on this one. Are you so you're not in the industry yet? You are no, no. I, I was literally a um, a college kid working part time for an insurance agent, so I was not okay. in the industry. Um, and you know, I at that point I was actually still probably about I was still probably about ten months away from graduation. Okay. So wow, yeah. this is all this. So you're still a college kid. Now you have your yeah. girlfriend, not soon to be your wife her kids or her sorry her siblings which effectively became your kids for a period of time absolutely um, so what was the what was the next thing what was the first 
job that you took in the industry where you said, hey, listen, I'm going to do this for real. This cemented it for me. Um, let me go look for a firm, get hired, start getting my licenses. Um, so while I was still at that insurance agency, I actually got my insurance license, you know, got my series six and 63, uh, at that insurance agency. And, and so the first firm that I worked for as a certified financial planner was my own firm. Um, I left right out of it. The name of the firm was Lindemann insurance. Uh, I left directly from Lindemann insurance and started my own firm, apex financial services. So I have never worked for another firm uh as a as a certified financial planner all right so you got to talk about that part because <clears throat> that's that's different than the past that we hear on this show yeah we always hear yeah. i was at narrow or i was at a bank or i was at mass mutual mm -hmm. but you're you're telling me you're early 20s you got some experience or mid maybe mid 20s got yeah. some experience at the insurance company and now the first thing you do is to start your own business yeah. So, um, you know, the way I would describe it is I had a scenario where, um, you know, when you're young, you know, you're used to the college pace, if you will. And, and Georgia Tech's rigorous. A lot of other colleges are rigorous, but Georgia Tech's a little something special, if you will, as far as that goes. Um, and so for me, once I got out and was doing just going to work every day, it, it was not as fulfilling. The pace was a lot slower. And so I think I might have been about, you know, 24 thereabouts, maybe somewhere in there. And it's kind of like, I don't know if I can do just this every day for the rest of my life. Right. And, and so because it was primarily working with small businesses, getting information on the employees and putting together employee benefit packages. Now, did it pay the bill? Sure. But it got to the point where it's like, you know, I don't know that this is what I want to do, but we got a lot of questions about all of the other stuff. And so I might have been 28 or so. And I thought, you know what? I like this other stuff that we don't do at the agency a lot better than what our primary role is. And that began my search for like, hey, listen, there's got to be an actual way for me to make a living helping people with all this other stuff. And so I uh, knew a guy who was a friend of Jeff's, Hector Diaz, who was a CLU, CHFC, um, and had gone independent with a, a MetLife agency at the time. And so I was talking to Hector and doing some research. Um, and that was when I stumbled upon the CFP designation and went, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, it just, it just went from there. I'd like to... Sorry, Ed, did you have something? No, I was going to say, what year was that that you got the CFP? Uh, CFP designation in 1998. I was going to ask um, a little bit about how you kind of switched from, you know, you're working for an insurance agency selling insurance, mm -hmm. which can be very different than being a financial planner. So when you stepped into the role of financial planning, what additional things were you doing that you weren't doing at the insurance agency? Were you just doing like paid financial planning? Were you managing money? Were you, I'd like to know kind of how you stepped into that role and decided what parts of that you wanted to do and what they were. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy to share that with you. So a couple things. One, uh, it, it went slowly. 
Uh, and that was to some degree intentional, right? The, uh, the dynamic that we had is, you know, at th by this time we're married. Uh, Ronk and I have been married for three, four years, I think at that point. Um, no, actually six years, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't wanna get in trouble for not actually knowing <laughs> how long I've been married in 1998. So it was absolutely six years. Maybe watch this, I did not forget we're married, I'm sorry. Uh, but, um, so I'm, a, I'm a finder in city tour. <laughs> So, uh, you know, by this point, we've been married six years, she's working, and, and we didn't have any children at this point. So there was not, there was not a lot of uh, financial pressure to kind of get out and make it happen. So it became a very slow transition out of the insurance agency. Now, I had a discussion with Jeff, and I said, you know what, this is the road I want to go down. Um, I want to do the investments. I want to try to help people come up with these solutions. And so uh, we had a candid discussion. He was understanding. Uh, I just basically reduced the amount of time that I was working there with him at the insurance agent agency and uh, began to focus more and more on the investment side of things and actual charging for plans. So uh, that took a while. And I would say, um, oh, our youngest daughter just turned 18. So probably 2000, yeah, it was 2002. I, I made the decision. It's like, you know what? You know, we've had some challenges, uh, you know, 1999, 2000, whatever. We had some challenges. We'd had one child and I went, you know what? If I'm going to leave and, and make a clean break, now's the time to do it. And so uh, I made that decision, you know, thought, okay, that's great. Let's do it. Signed a lease for some office space, uh, you know, got another car and said, yeah, it's great. Uh, and I think February of uh, that next year, um, my wife said, baby, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> and so um, it's like, okay, we got another child coming. And it's like, you think you're a man? Now we're going to find out for sure. So, um, and you know, never look back, never look That's back. Awesome. That's baby. I think you're pregnant. Did this. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got two girls, which is why I say mine is going oh. great. I oh yeah. And have two boys. I'm so blessed. <laughs> I have a He's five a and a six boys. year old girl. And yeah, I, I think they're my life karma, honestly, um, which means I'm going to have a 15 and 16 year old daughter at some point in my life. So I'm, I'm yeah. four, four girls and they're all 18 and above and Ooh. I'm taking, taking two of them out to dinner tonight. So God, nice. with, the, with the stories. My oldest one flies in tonight. Well, She's 25. So I'm with you, Ed. <laughs> well, I want to ask about. Jeff, because you've mentioned him a few times, and yeah, one of the sure. themes that comes up pretty often on this podcast is mentorship, because mm -hmm. I feel like in this industry, um, mentorship, especially for people of color and women, is really important because you really want to find somebody that can not only help you stay on the right path, but learn and and then, you know, you want to encourage others to do the same. So how important was it for you to have that mentorship and how did you find it? Um, so I will say as it relates to Jeff, one, it was quite by accident. I literally went to the placement office at Georgia Tech because I was looking for a part-time job. And, you know, little, there was a big binder 
at the Ajax Placement Center. And so I'm flipping through and looking for something. And uh, his brother had built a, a spreadsheet uh, for him using something called Quattro Pro. Uh, so there was something before Excel. Uh, called Quattro Pro, and uh, Jeff asked, you know, like, hey, listen, I'm using this to build presentations for clients for uh, group health insurance. Do you think you can manage the spreadsheet? And I was like, well, if I'm honest, I, I've never used this Quattro Pro before, but in school, we do programming in Fortran and COBOL, so I'm pretty sure I can figure it out. Um, and, and so Jeff, you know, being perfectly candid, had a very, very uh, significant, you know, role in my life. You know, it was the first real job I had. Um, it was an interesting dynamic. Um, Jeff grew up on a farm in Iowa. Uh, I'd say when I started working for Jeff, you know, Jeff was probably mid forties, somewhere thereabouts. Um, you know, early forties, perhaps, uh, farm boy that had served in the military, lived in St. Louis, landed in Atlanta, got married. And uh, the fact of the matter is the first desk that I worked at for Jeff was a little desk inside his home that was actually in the corner of his bedroom. <laughs> no joke. And, and so, you know, imagine if you will, you've got um, an 18 year old uh, black kid from Florida uh, working for, you know, let's call it middle-aged former Marine. And I guess they never say former Marine, but ex-Marine, uh, that, that grew up in Iowa, um, who honestly, uh, to, to put some perspective on it, if I recall correctly, the first time Jeff ever saw a, a black person in real life, I think he told me he was like 12 or 13 years old. Right. So this is little bitty farm town um, in Iowa. But we got along fine. We had no issues. And so there was a certain dynamic in terms of how he built the agency and how we were structured. You know, a lot of people went after really large groups. Uh, our focus area was small groups. And so I actually transitioned that model uh, to how I look at the business that I run today. So if we look at the, you know, what the popular media tells us from a financial planning perspective, we're supposed to go after the high net worth uh, investor, find people that have got millions of dollars. Um, and we all get math, we understand it. But for most of us, it's incredibly difficult to get into that group. Now, if you're one of those that, that has the possibility of an entree, or you find that magic bullet um, to get you in there, then great. But that's not the case for most people. Uh, the other thing, structurally from a business model, there's a lot of people that I can work with. You know, I, it's like, hey, listen, I can gain access to these people. It may be more work and I've got to go through that process a lot more times, but I can get there. And the, the flip side of it is, you know, with the agency, the way we ran it, if one of our groups left and went to go work with somebody else. We didn't like it, but in terms of what it did to the firm from a, a, an economic perspective, it was negligible at best. So as long as we did a good job, had a high retention rate, we're going to be fine. And, you know, similar to the world of financial planning, you know, particularly from an investment management standpoint, 
you know, one of the things that Jeff loved about the way it was structured is he had a pretty decent idea of what the revenue for January one of the next year would look like just simply based on retention, you know, because with group health insurance, you didn't earn a high uh, commission percentage. It was pretty low, but it was steady. You know, it, it might have been 5%, but you kept getting that 5%. And so as long as you did uh, a good job of retaining clients and taking care of people, you know, you could be okay. And so when we look at the the 1% model, if you will, that is fairly prevalent in, in our world, it, it's very similar in that way. And, and so if you said, hey, listen, what do our clients look like currently? It's best described as mass affluent. You know, do we have, you know, the millionaire clients? Sure. Yeah. But the vast majority are probably better described as being mass affluent. Well, and you make a good point there that like everybody needs the service. It doesn't matter if you have millions of dollars or no dollars. Everybody, uh, it, arguably, the people with less money need the service more than the people Absolutely. with tons of money. And so Absolutely. by focusing your efforts on people that actually could use your help, you might actually find a little bit of a niche in the industry because you're not fighting over the hugely rich clients that everybody wants. And so, you know, like there's a lot of opportunity in this industry that I think gets overlooked sometimes because it is a money industry. And when you're in the money industry, sometimes the focus is on money and it tends to skew away from the, the real issue, which is like helping, helping people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there and it's really interesting. And, um, so I'm glad that you said that and I'm glad you brought that up because it's a, it's a good point. You don't, you don't have to come into the business trying to earn commissions off of people with millions of dollars. So that's a wirehouse. That's a wirehouse mentality. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's why. So had you gone to a wirehouse, that's what they would have told you. This is what you have to do to be successful. Yeah, and what I love, and I absolutely love this conversation because for anyone, like I said, you know, for anyone who's looking to get into the industry, you can make a very successful career following the master fluent. You don't have to follow that, find that 1%, that 10, top 10%, those millionaires. You can do a very good job hitting that sweet spot, as I like to call it, that a lot of people miss. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I recall doing early on, um, I joined what is now known as the Financial Planning Association. Uh, when I joined, there were still two organizations, IAFP and ICFP. And, um, you know, being a, a good preacher's kid like I was, you know, daddy would always say, you know, you don't get to come to church and sit in the pews. You need to do something. You know, it might be you're, you're an usher, you're a deacon, you're in the choir, but you need to do something. And so if you're going to be a member of the church, you need to do something. And so when they asked me, if I'd be willing to volunteer, I said, yeah. And they asked me to be the uh, career development director, uh, which in retrospect um, is kind of interesting because I was candidly trying to develop my own career. You know, it's not like I had tons of experience at that point to share. But one of the things I remember uh, distinctly is going around and talking to some of the different uh, CFP programs at the colleges uh, here in Metro Atlanta. And I'd ask the kids, I'm like, listen, you know, do you think uh, that you could be okay 
in life if you earned $100,000. Invariably, every hand would go up, except for maybe one person. There's always a smart aleck in the group. And, uh, you know, a, a hundred grand wasn't enough for him. Now, mind you, this is every bit of 20 plus years ago, right? And, and we're in Atlanta. Um, you know, and I said, listen, you know, if you use that 1% formula, it's real simple. You go find one person that's got $10 million and you're good. You know, you service them and take care of them for the rest of your life. You're good. But the question is, how many of y'all actually know somebody that's got $10 million? And if you do, do they think, do you think they'll let you manage that money and charge them 1%? So let's be real about this, but let's flip that math on his head. How many of you think you know somebody that's got $50,000, maybe in a 401k that needs to be rolled over? All right, okay, fine. We just got things real simple. Find 200 people that got $50,000 and you can do this. And so there's typically a lot of head nodding. Now, is, is there some work involved? Absolutely, because you got to grind to find 200 people, but you can do it. And, you know, as Greer was, was talking earlier, you know, you give me that school teacher who's retiring and she's got two, $300,000. She needs some help with planning, making decisions about withdrawing the money, when she takes social security, that kind of thing. I would make the argument that what we do is vastly more important to her from a personal economic impact than it is for that business owner that sold a successful business for 20 or 30 million. So for example, you know, people made bad decisions in 2008 or perhaps had their portfolios allocated in a way that, that wasn't really suited for them or, or go back, you know, 10 years before that. Well, this school teacher, if you will, if her portfolio drops 30, 40% and she only got two, $300,000, that's a heck of a lot more impact to her than the business owner that sold this business for 20 million. He ain't going to like losing that money, but hell, if he goes from 20 million to 15, 10, 12, yeah, he's still going to be okay. If she's down at a hundred, that can be problematic for her. Lee, let me let me tell you a couple of things real quick. I'm over here getting goosebumps and Ed knows exactly what I'm talking about. So my, <laughs> my firm that Ed consults for is called SCM Wealth Management. Okay, I'm going to say this for this reason. Uh, we are an asset manager. We're a boutique. We're small. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my COO and our co-owner, also a Jeff, Jeff Highback, took a shot in 1997 by working in our founder's garage um, fresh out. Now he wasn't even out of college yet. Same as you. Uh, now they were down in, they were down in Tucson, Arizona. Um, we make it a deliberate point to have our minimums at $25,000. And I will tell you, we make exceptions 98% of the time below that. So like you, in fact, our average account size is just over 200,000 and we are almost at a billion dollars under management. Nice. Um, that's the second point. The third point is we sponsor six FPA groups uh, on the East Coast and had a conversation with the Atlanta chapter president, Kristen Pugh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, cool. And then will be our seventh next year. That's the third point. Love so it. Now I got a reason to come see you. There I'm you go. <laughs> come on, man. And, and then the fourth point is my wife 
is a school teacher. So you said all the things. I was just like, check, 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 check. So we are almost perfectly aligned now. He, for, he forgot the he forgot the fourth point. That's the fifth point. Well, the fifth, I'm sorry, the fifth point. Uh, he's he's a preacher's son too. Ah, okay. There you go. <laughs> wow. I think what I wait, wait did you just go well? <laughs> Let me turn around. Well. Let me turn around and get my ham ham and be Oregon ready. So oh, real no, quick. Do that now. And we, by the way, we are a Christian firm too. Just F- FYI. Absolutely, absolutely. We're gonna have Greer getting up shouting here in a minute. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. I'd pay good money to see that. Oh, real good. Yeah. But, but Lee, I like to back up a little bit. So yeah. you're you're in this guy's bedroom, and hopefully you made his bed from time to time. Oh God, let's, no. <laughs> let's 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 talk about what were some of your challenges early on as you started out on this this journey by yourself. Um, new CFP, new advisor, doing financial planning. What kind of obstacles did you um, did you actually face, if any at all? Also, there, there's obstacles, right? Um, mm. And and you know we could be here all day just talking about some of the obstacles. So I'll start with just some of the big ones, uh, as best I recall it, sort of off the top of my head. Uh, one of the biggest challenges, candidly, was being by myself, right? Um, I I don't regret it, but if you said, hey, listen, one of the benefits, if you will, to being in the, you know being in a Morgan Stanley world or Merrill Lynch world or, or wherever is you get taught a, a track to run on. Um, you learn some systems, you learn some processes. Uh, and so from that perspective, I think that can make things easier for you. Now there's a lot of downside in, you know, in my opinion uh, to kind of that wirehouse mentality, almost of, you know, uh, you know, eat what you kill, and the, the inability to, to work with a lot of people. So yeah, there's maybe a little bit of downside there. Uh, but you know, great organizations, there's different ways to serve people. But for me, not having had any of that sort of background, it was building things slowly. And, and so I wasn't um, alone to the standpoint that I'm sitting there at my desk and my head's dropped down, but not having uh, gone through that kind of experience and, and built some of that muscle memory, uh, was a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, if I'm candid, uh, you know, was my color a challenge? Yeah, it was, you know, let's, let's just be honest about it. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, even being here in, in Atlanta, it was a challenge, but fortunately for me, there were some people early enough that, you know, I was able to get some wins and always felt like, okay, you know what? I can keep going. I can do this, you know? Uh, you know, I, I might not, you know, build a practice like some other folk, but I can do this. I can make sure that I can take care of my family and, and work with people who reminded me of the people that I knew growing up. You know, uh, my mom, dad, you know, we're going to church every Sunday. Most of the people there, you know, they were school teachers, you know, in South Georgia, pulpwood, truck drivers, right? You know, hardworking folk, you know, every day. And so, um, I do not believe that, uh, you know, there was a, a millionaire, you know, in Folkestone, Georgia, um, 
that, you know, that was a part of our world. Now there's probably some old guy that owned a bunch of stuff, but, um, you know, just the ability to, to, to keep on going. And so there were some wins early on that I was able to, you know, make it through that, that process and, and figure things out, uh, to, to get to the point to where you're just kind of like, you know what, I can keep the lights on. I, I can, I can do this. We'll be okay. And is that how you found most of your clients was through your everyday life church referrals or was there, did you develop any methods of prospecting or anything around that? I, I did not. Everything was by referral. Um, you know, one of the, you know, the early clients, and, and this was actually still while I was with Lindemann Insurance, uh, there was a physician uh, group that we were working with, uh, Dr. Reginald Fowler. Uh, he and his partner uh, were talking to Jeff and another insurance agent, and, you know, they, they pulled me off to the side, right? And they're African-American physicians and said, hey, you know, what about, you know, what do you really think about these guys? And, and I told them, I was like, yeah, Jeff's a good guy. This other guy, he knows what he's doing. I don't think there's a better person as it relates to disability insurance than this guy. Now, you know, there might be some personality issues, if you will, uh, but I think they're good guys. And they looked at me and said, okay, and, and subsequently decided to work with Jeff and this other agent. You know, for, again, for all intent and purposes, I was still a kid. And that that meant a lot to me that they, you know, gave a damn about what I thought. And, and so for, you know, successful African-American physicians to even care about what I thought was incredibly important. And so they actually became probably the first source of referrals. So even if I look at things now, I can trace back uh, some referrals that came out of uh, Dr. Fowler's medical practice where, again, patients might ask him things and, hey, doc, do you know anybody? And, uh, you know, frequently he'd say, give Lee a call. And, and so if there was a first referral source, it, it was Dr. Fowler. So it's center of influence that you found. Yeah, yeah. very first one. Awesome. <laughs> There's so much I can I can ask you. Um, uh, I love your story. Just you know, being in the corner of somebody's bedroom and building your practice to <laughs> to where to where you are. I, I want you to just think eventually of, migrated out of the bedroom, so it was a duke. I hope I hope so. I mean, yeah. you didn't hope you didn't go from the bedroom to the bathroom or to the kitchen. I mean, no, uh, so uh -uh. <laughs> nope, nope. and uh, I, I haven't talked to Jeff in a while. I got a, a, a Christmas card from his wife now ex-wife just yesterday so oh, that's nice. um, that's nice. you know and uh it, it's all good stuff so i, I go ahead Gray. i'll let you oh, go i was just gonna say i have stories of being in like advisors kitchens at their kitchen tables for transition planning and stuff um you know when you can't be in the office and you're planning a transition and you have to you have to work in secret you know i've I've definitely been to a lot of advisors' houses where I'm just kind of like hanging out with their wife and kids. And <laughs> gotcha. I, I did one recently where I was supposed to go to an advisor's new office. And um, the night before the transition started, the office caught fire. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was, they had, this was a transition like no other where 
everything that could have went wrong before it did. Um, but yeah, so he called me the morning that I arrived and I was in my hotel room getting ready to drive into the office and he was like, so office got fire. Is it, is it cool if uh, we go to my house? By the way, it's in the middle of the woods. Um, so sorry. <laughs> I know. It was like, I, I was ain't going. like middle ain't going. of nowhere, Ohio. Nope. He was like, definitely ain't going. Nope. down the dirt path <laughs> into the middle of the woods. I literally called my husband. I dropped a pin. <laughs> I was like, I meet me at the hotel. Yeah, I'm okay. not going. Meet me at the gas station at the exit. You know, whatever. There's got to be a waffle. There's got to be a waffle house at that exit, man. Come on down. There's way too many jokes about me and my folk going into the woods. I mean, you know, how many horror movies? Come on now. Uh-uh. I ain't doing it. Oh, I know. I was like, I don't. I was like, if I tell anybody what I'm doing right now, every single one of them would probably be like, turn around. around. But yeah, you had three heads, but like, mm -mm, we ain't doing that. Nope, nope, don't do it. Nope, nope. Oh, this yeah. is a client. This is a client we may lose because we ain't going yeah. there. Ain't doing <laughs> Honestly, it. it ended up fine. His wife was great. They had a really, really good cappuccino maker. Spent the whole week there. Met all the kids. But yeah, I've had those interesting experiences before. Gotcha. <laughs> I so, mean, I work out of my basement. So. Yeah, that's, that's one for the ages. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely that's definitely one. So you know, and the reason why I brought up from where you started. Uh, those humble beginnings, and I absolutely love it because I will be definitely sharing this that story with some other. You turned out to be one of the top wealth managers in the Atlanta area for several years, mm -hmm. uh, featured in Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Black uh, Black Enterprise, Christian Science um, Monitor. You know, when you started getting those accolades and and people started reaching out to you for these awards, how did you feel? Um, so at different times, uh, ironically, I've had mixed feelings, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a feeling of excitement, you know, the first mm -hmm. time it happens and you get a reporter, uh, that, uh, calls you and says, or you get the email and it's like, Hey, I'm doing a story on X and, you know, I'll share some stuff with you as it relates to that journey. First of all, I'm going to give a shout out to FPA financial planning association because it was through my volunteering with the Financial Planning Association that I even got on the, the radar of uh, the various reporters. So, uh, you know, if you're in this profession, you're looking to get into it, FPA is a fantastic membership organization that can help with exposure. So they didn't pay me for that. Uh, I've been off of the board for more than 10 or 12 years now. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a has-been, if you will, but I still love and honor, uh, you know, how I benefited from volunteering in the organization. But, you know, I'm not going to lie, you know, that first time, you know, if it's Black Enterprise or Wall Street Journal, it felt good. And, uh, you know, through the years, there's been just times where I, I think about one particular issue of Black Enterprise that was a, a little challenging, right? So uh, 50 Cent was on the cover. You know, he's got on this gray suit you know, kind of a, a, a red wine color tie. And he's leaning against uh, a, uh, a Mercedes, right? Uh, as luck would have it, when they came to do the photo shoot for me, I had on a gray suit with kind of a, a red wine sort of tie. Now, I didn't have a Mercedes to lean up against, but I'm standing against the window. And I remember having this conversation. And, and this is 
this can be a bit of a challenging thing. The sun was shining. And so I found myself squinting on occasion. And I remember talking to the photographer and saying, listen, I don't want the picture that ends up in there for it to look like I'm angry, right? Because I, I can't, I don't have the privilege of being the angry black guy. So please, you know, try to use one that um, I look a little more pleasant, right? Uh, now, that didn't turn out to be the case. I think somebody thought, oh, damn, he's looking just like 50 Cent in this picture. So we're going to have 50 on the cover and then Lee in the middle of the magazine with, you know, literally almost identical uh, poses and the same suit on. So uh, anyway, that was a little challenging. Um, but there have been other times where I felt like, you know, you're, you're happy to be the first fill in the blank, but there's also a feeling of, you know, damn, we're still being first, right? And, and so for me, uh, with the Financial Planning Association, you know, being the first African-American on the National Board of Directors, I'll never forget we were giving an award to uh, Marv Tuttle, uh, who had been the executive director for a number of years. And um, they asked all the previous board members and current board members to come up on stage to give Marv this award. And so, you know, just because of how I was raised, you know, preacher's kid down here in the South, there were some ladies going up. And so I waited at the bottom of the stairs, you know, to kind of help the ladies get up the stairs. And so I wound up being the last person to walk onto the stage. Now, intellectually, I knew that I was the first black person. But when I got up on stage, I'm now looking down the length of the stage. I don't know, there's 30, 40 people or whatever it is up there on the stage. And at that point, that was really kind of the first time that it hit me that it's like, damn, you know, this, this is kind of what it is. And so, yeah, there's, there's the good and bad of like, okay, there's some achievement, but then there have been times where it's like, this kind of sucks. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a point in time of like, well, what are we going to do about it? And, uh, you know, buddy of mine, Ed Jerkson, we were at a conference in Nashville that year and there were these banners hanging down that said, we are FPA. And uh, it looked like the old Benetton ad, right? Where you had like a, there's an Asian lady, Hispanic dude, and that sort of thing. And it's like, we are FPA. And um, it's like, no, that ain't, that ain't us. That, that might be what we aspire to be, but that's not us. And so, you know, we we're walking around and then went into this one session I forget what the actual session topic was, but it ended up being a smaller group of people in there than the, the leader of that group had, had planned on having. And he just kind of went off script a little bit and said, hey, listen, there's a smaller group. Uh, so let's take a little bit of extra time and get to know each other. And so we're just going to go around the room real quickly, you know, tell everybody your name, where you're from and, and why you're here. And so I'm standing there, it gets to me and, and I wasn't in a bad mood or anything, but when it got to me, I looked around the room, you know, it's so like, hi, my name's Lee. I'm from Atlanta. And from the looks of the things in this room, I'm here to add a little color to the conversation. <laughs> right. So some people chuckled, some people got a little nervous and, you know, we kind of went on from there, but afterwards, you know, Ed was like, dude, you almost made me pee my pants. <laughs> but it's like, how do you, how do you feel? 
right? Because it's it was always happening, right? We there was like three thousand people in attendance at that conference, and there was maybe twenty seven black people, right? And um, it was very common to be in a room, and I'm the only black guy in the room, right? And I was like, you know, I don't, I never felt like, hey, look, they're not going to play with the black guy. Uh, you know, that didn't bother me, but it, it felt odd at times. And then it became, okay, so what are you going to do about it? I don't know. What do you want to do about it? I felt like we were in kind of an Abbott and Costello routine. Um, <laughs> but I said, okay, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do, but let's try to do something. Well, let, literally, it's like, well, let's go find Trudy. She's here, you know. You know, let's go find Sandra. She's here because unfortunately we knew who everybody was. Right. Um, and it's like, OK, so let's huddle up here in the middle of the uh, Gaylord uh, there in Nashville and said, OK, well, let's try to do something. And that evolved. And so eventually FPA started a diversity initiative committee and that sort of thing. And um, some of the things that we pulled together back in those days, you know, still continues. And so uh, I, I feel good that, um, you know, I, I think back to church, you know, as I passed along the way, you know, did something so that my living would not be in vain. Uh, that was, this is why we do this show. Literally. Garland and I would share stories like that, yeah. being the only person of color in a room over and over and over and over. And unfortunately it is, it's a little better, but it's still bad. Still bad. You know, Garland, Gar Garland knows the stats, you know, better than I do on, I get, you know, the percentage of. Gets me, gets me fired up, period. Um, look, I, we sponsor all these FPA um, groups in different locations, and, and they're wonderful groups. They're just not wonderfully diversified. And it doesn't matter where we are. I, I live in Maryland, um, a, a pretty diversified state, not represented through the FPA. Um, we, we, we sponsor Virginia, which is where my office is outside of Richmond. Nope. Uh, the Carolinas where Ed and, and Greer are definitely not. So, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to make some changes. It's one of the reasons why at the beginning of the show, I talked about leaning into my, my wife's high school and teaching some of these kids coming up. Lee, you said it yourself and Ed and I will concur. We didn't find this industry. We fell into it. And I think that's part of it because there's no person that we could look to to say, well, this guy, the Mr. Smith does this. That sounds kind of cool. There was that wasn't that it was, Hey, I need a job. And you know, they're going to give me, I need to know what a series seven was when I got to series seven. Yeah. No clue. I was working for Donaldson Lufkin Generate. If you can remember that. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, too. Yeah. And they were just finding a bunch of knuckleheads in Charlotte, North Carolina that graduated uh, college. And I said, okay, well, they, they're paying me $19,000. That's a thousand more dollars than I'm going to make where I am. So that's, that's, that was my catalyst. I'm going to get it. So you know, I, we talk about this all the time. Greer's a huge uh, advocate for the, for these kind of things, particularly when it comes to women, um, but certainly with persons of color as well. And that's, that's the hope that this podcast has enough, will get enough volume so that some 22 year old, senior in college or some 18 year old senior in high school or some yeah. 25 year old, you know, fledgling advisor who's about ready to leave this industry. Here's your story and says, all right, let me push through. Yeah. I can do this. I can find 
200 people with 50 or $60,000. I don't have to go find, you know, the accredited $5 million guy that right. Wells Fargo or Smith Barney or whoever, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're telling me to go find. I can make my own path. I can do it my own way. So as you can see, I get on my soapbox when it comes to this stuff because these numbers don't change. I mean, yeah. it's still the number of CFPs. It's still below 7% minority. Um, I, I used to always tell this story. I was at a, and I'll, I'll name firms. I don't care. I was at a Merrill Lynch black advisor conference in, in Tampa Bay, Florida, seven or eight years ago. And the qualifications were this, you had to be an advisor for longer than three years and you had to be of some minority under 200 people there in a wow. firm with 17,000 advisors. It's infuriating to me that we have not yet crossed that channel, but people like you are going to help us get there. That's why. And again, that's why we, we love having you on this, on this podcast. Well, we, we, we've got to, we've got to make it happen. There's too many people uh, across this country, quite frankly, around the world uh, that need to know that we're going to make it happen and we're going to make a difference. So uh, you know, to, to whom much is given, much is required. And is the work hard? Sure. Is it rewarding? Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I think we owe it. Um, right. I, I think we do a disservice if, you know, we, we close our eyes for the final time and have not made a difference for somebody else coming behind us so that uh, there should be some little boys, some little girls uh, that are not in the situation that we found ourselves in, right? Um, if we don't do that, I don't care how much money you made. Uh, you, you've been a bit of a waste in my book. I agree. This work we do is necessary. It's necessary. Um, so, so go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. People, tell us how people find you if they want to look up your website, learn more about you. How do how do they find you? Yeah. So, you know, nowadays, probably the easiest thing is LinkedIn. I do have a website, but I, I think LinkedIn does a masterful job of letting you find people. So the easiest thing is, hey, hop on LinkedIn, you know, Lee Baker, CFP. Uh, I do a pretty good job of remaining engaged. And if it's appearances on CNBC and, you know, congressional testimony, those sorts of things, uh, I, I try to put that information out there so that you've got a, a good snapshot of me that might be the easiest uh you can absolutely go to our website uh that's apexfinancial.com um and, and reach us there as well so go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say and if you have one piece of advice because i know this is probably what ed was going to say as well like if you have one piece of advice for the next generation that's coming up and considering this industry as an option for them, what, what would you say to them? Or what would you say to your younger self? Uh, so I, I will tell you, I'm, uh, fortunately, I've had some practice uh, on, on answering this question. So um, oddly enough, earlier this year for, for Black History Month, CNBC asked myself and some others, you know, to kind of, you know, be a part of this, this Black History Month thing. And, and one of the questions was something along the lines of, uh, what would you share with future leaders? And one of the things uh, that I, you know, shared there, and, and I think it's absolutely true, is learn to be comfortable 
in uncomfortable situations. So when I think back to that uh, that story I shared about being at the FPA conference in Nashville and being the only black guy in the room, there are times when it can be uncomfortable. Uh, there are times when you have to navigate conversations, navigate situations where you know, a lot of the things that I've dealt with, I think have been unintentional, uh, perhaps from a place of ignorance, uh, more so than, you know, your, let's call it clear cut incidences of racism, right? You know, some people can just be ignorant about stuff sometimes, uh, but that can put you in an awkward situation. And, and so um, we're at a place, all of us here, the four of us and others, we're trying to make a difference. And there's been improvements over the last 10, 20 years. We still got a long way to go. So the thing that I encourage you to do, you know, whoever Lee Baker is 10, 20 years from now, is be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Uh, know that they're going to come up, but know that you can get through it and that you'll be better and stronger on the other side. Uh, that's Excellent. wonderful. I love, love it. Garland, do you have any um, parting questions or thoughts? No questions, thoughts. Um, first of all, thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm not thanking you for being on this podcast. I'm thanking you for your service in this industry. Um, doing it where you're doing it, when you're doing it, I know is a challenge. Uh, we, I think we just sort of scratched the surface of what those things can and could be and probably will in, in our being right now. Um, thank you for being a bit of a pioneer in the national FPA. Um, it's the first person that takes the first step, hopefully reaches back and touches the second person. Um, our yep. Lord, Lord said that. Um, thank you for, for what you just spoke about, uh, for, the, for having the courage uh, to be in a group that is different. Um, we call it assimilation sometimes. Maybe that's a bit of a derogatory term. I like the way you put it. You said, make uncomfortable comfortable. That's a very good way to express that. Um, because the reality of it is, is that as long as we're in this industry, at least right now, that's going to be what we deal with. Greer deals with it all the time. I know all of her transitions are probably 99% male. Um, certainly Ed and I are dealing with it as, as folks. Ed's been an advisor and a wholesaler. He's dealt with it in, uh, in Durham, North Carolina. And I, of course, I'm, I'm the road guy and I'm dealing with it all, all the time. So, you know, my, my sentiments to you are, Thank you so much. Uh, I will definitely be in Atlanta in 2023. I am going absolutely. to make, find you. Um, let's make sure. it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Let's make it happen, man. But brother, keep doing what you're doing because you are absolutely making a difference. And uh, I hope that a million people watch this this chapter of this podcast. Thank um, you. You know, Garland and Greer pretty much said everything I was going to say. Uh, and I'll echo what Garland said is thank you. Um, I absolutely love your story. Um, I think a lot of our young people need to hear that story. Um, I love how you weaved your faith in there um, because that that is you know near and dear to my heart as well. And um, your labor hasn't been in vain. You have done some mighty works. And what I love that I heard kept hearing about you know people poured into you and you continue to pour back into other people. 
You know, I tell everyone I live my life by the simple phrase, given it shall be given unto you. Absolutely. And my, my brother, we, we appreciate your time. And if you have any closing part words that you'd like to share with either us or our audience, feel free to. Yeah, you know, let me again say thank you for just having me as a guest on your show. Um, you know, what you're doing in and of itself is a labor. And we have to have these sorts of outlets in order to amplify this so that, uh, you know, we're in North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Maryland, that kind of thing. But there's somebody in Arkansas that, that needs to hear this conversation. There's somebody in New Jersey that needs to hear this conversation. And so uh, what you're doing is incredibly important to leverage these voices. And so uh, I just encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. Uh, I feel it's vitally important. And, um, you know, we, we will get there. Um, yeah. the, the work is hard, um, but it's also important. And, and I absolutely feel we will, we will get there. Well, once again, thank you. This has been another journey, the financial advisor experience with the one and only Mr. Lee Baker. Thank you for tuning in. Like, comment, subscribe, share the content. Um, if you don't share any other one, share this one. Take care, everyone. Be blessed. Thank you.